0: Dear friends, Christian greetings to you this month. Thank God that we have His Word to guide us during these very uncertain times. Thank you, too, for your prayers and support. It means so much to us. We also appreciate your emails and letters with your testimony of how Keep the Faith ministry, by the grace of God, has made a big difference in your life. Enclosed in your packet this month is a very special DVD from Heartland College. It is a moving account of the dedicated young people who have attended there. I don't suppose there is any place that is more dedicated to training missionaries for God's cause than Heartland College. Heartland College is a calling, and young people who really want to serve God with all their hearts should certainly consider attending there. I hope you can watch this DVD. Keep in mind that it is not a CD but a DVD that you can play on your computer or your TV if you have the DVD player. If you don't, find someone who does and watch it with them. You will be greatly blessed. Please share the DVD with young people or anyone who has young people who have a spiritual commitment and want to learn to be missionary soul winners in these last days. Recently, during his trip to Bavaria, Germany, Pope Benedict XVI gave a speech in which he commented about Islam. His comments were like a grenade, creating a firestorm of protest from Muslims around the world. Some burned the Pope in effigy. Others called for the assassination of Benedict XVI. A nun in Africa was killed, churches were burned, and other violent acts were committed. Most Western commentators remarked at length on the superficial issues such as the truth of his comments about Islam's violence, what he really meant to say, or his response to the violence. Most, however, missed the deeper significance and the real intent of what Benedict did in Regensburg, Bavaria. Why did Benedict XVI do what he did and say what he said? This question was largely overlooked because most commentators don't have a clue about prophecy. This month's eye-opening message is packed with amazing information about recent developments in fulfilling prophecy, especially in Europe. I will share with you some arresting statements by powerful kings and merchants of the earth who are cooperating with Rome to develop a European superstate with the Vatican at the head of it all. In essence, they are resurrecting the Holy Roman Empire. But before I do, let us bow our heads in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for your living word. Thank you for revealing to your humble followers the truth concerning our salvation and the future and how to prepare for the coming of Jesus. Our lives are so busy and so full of things to do, but we are satisfied that in your word we can find peace in this chaotic world and that we can find assurance That your word will be fulfilled. Now teach us today through your Holy Spirit as we open our study of prophecy. In Jesus' name, Amen. Turn with me in your Bibles to Revelation 13 1 through 9. The Scripture reads And I stood upon the sand of the sea, and saw a beast rise up out of the sea, having seven heads and ten horns. AND UPON HIS HORNS TEN CROWNS, AND UPON HIS HEADS THE NAME OF BLASPHEMY. AND THE BEAST WHICH I SAW WAS LIKE UNTO A leopard, AND HIS FEET WERE AS THE FEET OF A BEAR, AND HIS MOUTH AS THE MOUTH OF A LION. AND THE DRAGON GAVE HIM HIS POWER, HIS SEAT, AND GREAT AUTHORITY. AND I SAW ONE OF HIS HEADS, AS IT WERE, WOUNDED TO DEATH, AND HIS DEADLY WOUND WAS HEALED. And all the world wondered after the beast. And they worshipped the dragon, which gave power unto the beast. And they worshipped the beast, saying, Who is like unto the beast? Who is able to make war with him? And there was given unto him a mouth, speaking great things, and blasphemies. And power was given unto him to continue forty and two months. And he opened his mouth in blasphemy against "'God to blaspheme His name and His tabernacle "'and them that dwell in heaven. "'And it was given unto Him to make war with the saints "'and to overcome them. "'And power was given Him over all kindreds "'and tongues and nations. "'And all that dwell upon the earth shall worship Him, "'whose names are not written in the book of life "'of the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. "'If any man have an ear,' Let him hear. This sacred passage tells us of the great apostate power that once ruled the world, particularly the Western European Empire known as the Holy Roman Empire. Do you think Islam can make war with Rome? I don't think so. The Vatican and the Pope are too shrewd, and they have the mastery of politics and economics. Islam doesn't have a hope to overcome the Vatican. But there is a larger issue. Rome is quickly becoming the mistress of the world, again. The Roman Catholic Church persecuted those who did not agree with her dogmas and doctrines. Millions upon millions of people lost their lives during the Inquisition under her rule. And the Bible declares that she will rule again, and that all the world shall wonder after the beast. Please note verse 7. And power was given him over all kindreds and tongues and nations. Do you think the Bible means what it says? Roman Catholicism is going to rise to worldwide power to control all kindreds, tongues, and nations, and will become a persecuting power again. In order for Rome to rule the world and force all people to worship her, she has to have the cooperation, The conspiratorial cooperation of many rulers, both political and economic. There are many who spend a lot of time looking into the secret conspiracies of this world, and there are plenty. They like to know about Freemasonry, the Bilderbergers, the Trilateral Commission, the Council on Foreign Relations, and many others. But the Bible puts them into perspective. These are the merchants and the kings of the earth, found in Revelation 18. They work with world rulers and with Rome to make themselves rich and powerful. Revelation 18 verse 3 tells us that the kings of the earth have committed fornication with her and the merchants of the earth are waxed rich through the abundance of her delicacies." Those who control nations and those who control the economy are the ones unquestionably spoken of here. The Bible points us to Rome, Roman Catholicism, as the conspiracy behind all these other conspiracies. They work together to bring about the triumph that Rome has long sought, the control of the world and the persecution of God's true people. The rulers of nations commit spiritual fornication with her through church and state alliances, while those who control the economy work with her so they can benefit from their connection with both the church and the state. Rome is at the center of Bible prophecy, in conflict with Christ himself. These other conspiracies have their place, but they are not the focus of prophecy. How is Rome going to become the most powerful ruler in the world? How is Rome going to regain the political control that she has lost? To understand this, you have to understand a bit of history. The Middle East and Europe have been closely connected in history. When Islam invaded the West, it permanently connected the two regions. Though events in the Middle East dominate the press, we must watch something more important. For Rome to rise again to unprecedented power, she must revive the Holy Roman Empire. That involves Europe, and since the fall of the pagan Roman Empire, Europe has been divided into small, feuding states. But now, the rise of the European Union threatens to unite them all under one central government controlled by Rome, through the largest economic and political government in Europe, the nation of Germany. While these nations shall not cleave together, ultimately, there will be one last attempt to bring them all under one head to give their loyalty to the Catholic Church. For the Scripture says, These have one mind, and shall give their power and strength unto the beast. Revelation 17, verse 13. Now, as the world falls apart, and as the Middle East becomes embroiled in a serious crisis, as terrorism threatens to force the unraveling of Western culture and way of life, Europeans fear that large percentages of Muslims will form a destabilizing mass. Their political leaders see the need for strong action. They realize that they need to resurrect their Christian heritage. They need to go back to their roots. And that was the message Pope John Paul II brought. He worked tirelessly to revive the Holy Roman Empire. Early in his pontificate in Spain on November 9, 1982, he said this, It can be said that the European identity is not understandable without Christianity, and that precisely in Christianity are found those common roots by which the continent has seen its civilization mature its culture, its dynamism, its activity, its capacity for constructive expansion in other continents as well. In a word, all that makes up its glory. Find yourself again. Be yourself. Discover your origins. Revive your roots. Return to those authentic values which made your history a glorious one and your presence so beneficent to the other continents. While there is certainly dispute about the historical correctness of John Paul's statements, what exactly are those roots? Charlemagne, the forefather of the Holy Roman Empire, waded through seas of blood to convert people to his empire and to Roman Catholicism. During the Inquisition, over 50 million innocent people were killed in the name of Christianity, and you can add many millions more through the Crusades. Those origins and roots and that history to which John Paul referred caused many millions of people to die. It was not glorious, and it was not beneficent. Pope Benedict has been repeating that same message when he visited his native Bavaria in September. According to the Christian Science Monitor on September 15, his message was, Europe needs to rethink the thesis that secularism and economic progress go hand in hand. Benedict wants Europeans to reject secularism and embrace religion as the means of economic progress. He is speaking right to the heart of the issue with the Europeans, particularly the Germans, who lead the economic development of Europe. And Europeans are listening. Roman Catholicism is taking on a new life in Europe. Politicians, for example, are supporting the Pope's movement. German Chancellor Angela Merkel is trying to insert a reference to Europe's Catholic Christian heritage into the EU Constitution. Foremost German philosopher Jürgen Habermas, a self-professed secularist, recently left that viewpoint. In 2004, he made a surprising statement. Christianity, he wrote, meaning Catholicism, and nothing else, is the ultimate foundation of liberty, conscience, human rights, and democracy, the benchmarks of Western civilization. He added, To this day, we have no other options. We continue to nourish ourselves from this source. Everything else is postmodern chatter. While his statement is certainly false, more and more Germans are identifying Catholic Christianity as the foundation of the West. Benedict XVI is trying to build a philosophical basis for the populations of Europe to believe it anyway. Germany's Minister of State for Cultural Affairs, Bernd Neumann, recently made a shocking statement. He said... The Europe-wide German Reich of the Middle Ages can serve as a valid model of the functioning superstate. That was reported in German Foreign Policy August 8, 2006. In discussing the founding and steady expansion of the modern European Union, this German politician is talking about reviving the Holy Roman Empire, which he sees as having historical consistency. Benedict XVI is a committed supporter of the imperial ideal and said the origins of today's EU should acknowledge a common imperial idea. Benedict has been invited to speak in Berlin in 2007 to celebrate the 50th anniversary of the Treaty of Rome, which established the European Economic Community in the first place. According to George McGee, former U.S. Ambassador to West Germany, The treaty was nurtured at Bilderberg meetings. Note that it was a conspiracy of the Bilderbergers that worked with Rome to start the process of European unity, and now the power elites, in conjunction with Benedict XVI, are moving to finish it. The German press, reported GermanForeignPolicy.com, already reports that the religious consecration that is, the speech of Benedict XVI in Berlin, will validate the European economic community and will be dedicated to the spiritual foundations of Europe's political unification. The invitation legitimates the Reich concept of a stable cooperation of church and state, said GermanForeignPolicy.com. The explicit aim of the organizers of the exhibition, according to GermanForeignPolicy.com, August 8, 2006, is to examine the past of old Europe in a time of fundamental inner and external reorientation. What is that reorientation? Many political leaders see the resurrection of the Holy Roman Empire, or the Holy European Empire, if you will, in the offing but much beyond its original borders. Accordingly, the organizers are saying that they have traced the historical structures and developmental processes which will help in the construction of the modern version of the empire, which will include, in Germany's view, the nations that border her on the east, which she aims to control as they come into the EU. But anyone who knows history should be able to see how events in the Middle East will make a huge impact on Europe. Europe is poised for a dramatic increase in Muslim influence, both from within its own citizen base and from without. European leaders realized that they must act, so in response to last summer's war between Hezbollah and Israel, Germany and Italy sent troops to Lebanon to keep the peace. Italy is there with ground troops, and Germany is there with its naval force and soldiers. These two nations largely comprise what once was known since the 6th century as the Holy Roman Empire. It is the influence of the Middle East that is actually the catalyst for the resurrection of the Holy Roman Empire. Europe must address the issue of Islam and Benedict is positioning the Vatican to take advantage of the situation. The fact that Germany and other European nations are so involved in peacekeeping operations shows a dramatic shift taking place. Regarding Europe's involvement in the Lebanon-Israel crisis, eubusiness.com September 1, 2006 reported, It was a new step in moving the Union away from simply being the region's largest provider of aid to an honest broker, increasingly accepted by all sides, with growing political leverage. Europe is seeing what's happening in the Middle East, and, led by Germany, is rising to meet the challenge. Israel and Jerusalem are surrounded by Islamist enemies, Now Europe, including Germany, has been invited to Lebanon to defend Israel, and Germany is becoming a global leader and chief peacekeeper. As Iran and its radical allies continue to destabilize the Middle East and bring it to a crisis, watch for Europe to become more involved with Israel. This rising Holy Roman Empire has already gotten involved and will likely get even more involved. History repeats itself, of which this is a classic example, as a final crusade brings the world to the third and final world war. For the first part of Revelation 13 to be fulfilled, there has to be a revival of the Old World, the Holy Roman Empire. Listen to what Ellen White has to say about this. This is from Great Controversy, page 616. Romanism in the Old World and apostate Protestantism in the New will pursue a similar course toward those who honor all the divine precepts. It is Romanism in the Old World that is going to bring about the new Euro persecution against those who don't go along with Europe's soon-coming Sunday laws. While it will be the image of the beast or apostate Protestantism in North America, the New World, that will oppress God's people who refuse to join the coalition enforcing Sunday worship. There is one more interesting set of facts relating to the resurrection of the old Holy Roman Empire. How is Rome going to gain economic control of the European Union? Listen carefully. In the last ten years or so, there has been a dramatic economic convergence in Germany. Germany is positioning itself to politically manipulate the revived empire through its economic strategy. On March 16, 2006, the International Herald-Tribune reported that German companies have stepped on the gas in the past 12 months, they are in conquering mode, and we've not hit the peak yet. According to GermanForeignPolicy.com, August 9, 2006, In the first quarter of 2006 alone, German companies agreed to spend a record $99.5 on takeovers, more than all of 2005. Germany has the largest economy in Europe, accounting for 20% of all the EU's economic activity. It has also become the world's third largest economy and the EU's largest exporter. German business enterprises have expanded their European market share by over 25%, more than double the French and 2.5 times the Italians. 2004 and 2005 were record-setting years for German companies in foreign sales, and in 2005, more than 130 companies listed on Germany's four leading stock exchanges increased their net profits by an average of 30%. The New York Times, January 17, 2006, said that a reinvigorated Germany has far-reaching implications for Europe and the world. German industry, back in fighting trim, has begun flexing its muscles overseas. The most obvious manifestation of this German corporate muscle flexing has been the recent flood of German corporate takeovers. Business Week said that the corporate leaders of German hunter companies like Siemens, the engineering group Lind, and energy conglomerate E.ON are like young lions that are quick to pounce. When these kinds of terms, young lions, and conquering mode are used to describe Germany's corporate presence, you should take notice. These are enormous companies who have been eating up smaller companies like bars of candy. They have positioned themselves to become the largest companies in their business sector in all of Europe. But other German companies are taking over strategic industries, too. The German stock exchange Deutsche Börse has been battling for control of Euronext, another stock exchange. If this merger succeeds, it will create the first truly pan-European exchange organization, representing a significant step forward in the integration of European financial markets, said Agency France Press on May 22, 2006. If this merger succeeds... Europe's major financial markets in Paris, Frankfurt, Brussels, Amsterdam, and Lisbon will all fall under German control. That is dramatic. German companies such as Deutsche Bank, Deutsche Post, Deutsche Telekom, Allianz Group, RWE, and many others have all actively bought out foreign competitors, extending their reach and influence throughout Europe. Here is how this relates to prophecy. Across Europe, major power, gas, water, manufacturing, telecommunications, finance, and media corporations have fallen to German buyers. These are industries no nation would want to be in the hands of an enemy during a crisis. Even in good times, it opens a nation up to coercion. In bad times, blackmail or worse... Rome gains when there is consolidation of power and economy. Control of the economy provides political power. German financiers and businessmen are turning their nation into the kind of power that Rome needs to gain control of the whole European Union. And it's not over yet. Now, Rome knows that German religious roots are Catholic even though for a time the Reformation removed Germany from its fold. But if Germany regains the economic control of the EU, all Rome has to do is control the leaders of German politics and economy, and she will be the master of Europe. Can you see why Rome wanted the Berlin Wall to come down and was willing to conspire with President Reagan to accomplish it? Rome needs a united Germany, with a powerful economic engine. This is worth noting because there's no way that the Holy Roman Empire can ever be revived if German power is limited. The fall of the Berlin Wall was strategic and with far-reaching results. Interestingly, many of these very companies or their predecessors marched in step with the German military prior to and during World Wars I and II. In order to be able to provide support for the military, there was a lot of consolidation within the various industries before the war began. Many of them provided the military technology and hardware for the German Reich that gave it the muscle it needed to wage war on its neighbors. For example, IG Farben, a notorious industrial and chemical conglomerate that manufactured the poison gas Zyklon B for the gas chambers of Auschwitz and other concentration camps, went through a period of consolidation before World War II, like many other companies. IG Farben bought up BASF, Bayer, Host, Agfa, and other chemical industry interests and doubled in size. It became the largest chemical manufacturer in Europe, famous for its innovations, and monopolized the chemical industry. It was one of the largest corporations in the world at the time. IG Farben was so big that it controlled an enormous segment of the economy of Germany prior to the war, so that without it, it is said, the Nazis could not have gone to war. I.G. Farben supported the murderous Nazis wholeheartedly during the war and made a lot of profit in manufacturing synthetic fuels and synthetic rubber, among other things that the Nazis needed. They even built factories near Auschwitz to take advantage of the free slave labor provided by the concentration camps. And in 1942, they even built their own concentration camp, Monowitz, under supervision of the Nazis, to improve their productivity. After World War II, I.G. Farben executives were prosecuted for war crimes and were sent to prison for their rather enthusiastic cooperation with the Nazis. I.G. Farben was broken up into its constituent companies after the war, some of which are still in business today, including Bayer A.G., the manufacturer of Bayer Aspirin. In order to provide the necessary resources for the Third World War there must be an industrial basis that is large enough and consolidated enough so that the coming Holy Roman Empire will be able to sustain their side of it. Like IG Farben and the companies that prepared for war then, megacorporations in Germany are now consolidating the industries of Europe under German companies to position themselves for huge profits when the inevitable war arrives. Today, far-seeing German companies, under a unified Europe, no doubt recognize that their time to prepare and position themselves for the Third World War is now, and that it is short, and they are doing it with abandon. Far-seeing Rome is positioning herself to be the master of Germany. In the coming World War, Germany will probably again play a significant role. Europe will find itself under German control long before the war starts. These conditions will help to coerce the other nations that might be more resistive to being controlled by the EU in Brussels and by the Vatican in Rome. Rome will certainly use this political and economic power to her advantage in the coming years. Now, having said all that, let us look again at the comments of Benedict XVI in Regensburg. To the casual observer, the Pope's many speeches during the six-day visit to Germany in September were a group of homilies from a well-intentioned but aging religious leader. But to the careful observer of history, and to any student of prophecy, Benedict's remarks spell out an agenda. He used the occasion to powerfully clarify the future of the papacy on matters that will have a significant global impact on religion and the international political order. While in Bavaria, the Pope had audiences with German Chancellor Angela Merkel and Germany's President Horst Kohler to discuss matters relating to German society. The Pope expressed support for Germany's concerns about the impact of Islamic penetration into German society. During his visit, the Pope covered many topics including ecumenism, pan-Islamism, the traditional connection between Germany and Rome, religion versus secularism, and the need for Europe to return to its Roman Catholic roots. But nothing was more passionately pressed from his Bavarian pulpit than his pet theme of exhorting Europe to return to its religious roots and the burning issue of Islamic extremism. The powerful speech at Regensburg University addressed the challenges that both secularism and Islamism posed to the Church. That speech, with its reference to the statement of Emperor Manuel II Paleologus that attacked Islam and the Holy War concept, ignited a worldwide Islamic reaction. In it, he quoted the Emperor as saying, Show me just what Mohammed brought that was new, and there you will find things only evil and inhuman, such as his command to spread by the sword the faith he preached. These words ignited a reaction that will be felt for some time to come, perhaps until the close of probation. The Pope's words were taken out of context, and the shouting began. Most commentators in the media and press expressed opinions that the Pope was ill-advised to use such inflammatory language, or that he did not really mean what he actually said. While they pointed out that it was an accurate statement of Islam's way, a few went a little deeper and pointed out that Rome was historically guilty of doing the same thing, but hardly any at all caught the real significance of what he said. The fact is that the Vatican is very careful with what is said in every setting. Their intelligence gathering and information about the political state of the world is top-notch. Benedict's words were certainly chosen specifically for that occasion and were no doubt reviewed by top Vatican officials. There is no escaping the conclusion that these words were deliberately chosen and calculated to create a certain type of response. Benedict's nearly 4,000-word speech was, in reality, throwing down the gauntlet to the Islamists. He said that violence is incompatible with the nature of God, God is not pleased by blood, and not acting reasonably is contrary to God's nature. Whoever would lead someone to faith needs the ability to speak well and to reason properly, without violence and threats. To convince a reasonable soul, one does not need to strong arm or weapons of any kind or any other means of threatening a person with death. The key point here was that violent conversion is not reasonable and is contrary to God's nature. This is, in essence, saying that Catholicism is reasonable and that Islam is an irrational faith. Iran's president, Mahmoud Ahmadinejad is not a rational being in his view, for example. Only Benedict's God is rational. It is interesting to note Benedict's choice of words and the logic behind them. Those who are reasonable don't need threats to convince them, and since Catholicism is the only reasonable faith, they will naturally come to Romanism in his view. But historically, those who are not reasonable and who refuse the reasonableness of Catholicism can be threatened, strong-armed, punished for obstinacy, and even killed, as Rome actually did for centuries against anyone that she defined as unreasonable, that is, those who disagreed with her and would not come under her supposedly reasonable authority. In other words, Rome can go to war or get her client states to go to war against an unreasonable Islam. Rome can torture, maim, and otherwise persecute individuals whom she defines as heretics, but no Christian or Christian nation under Rome's authority should ever be the target of Islam's jihad. It's just not reasonable. Benedict certainly knew that these words were bound to ignite a strong reaction. Benedict is known for his brilliant intellect. His speech was well thought out and prepared in advance. These remarks were not off-the-cuff or accidental. The choice of Emperor Manuel's words was both deliberate and calculated, calculated to get a reaction. There were many other examples by which to illustrate the reason of faith that he could have used. Islamists demanded an apology. But the pope carefully responded by regretting the reaction his speech caused and avoided an apology for the choice of the emperor's words. The pope is more than a scholar. He is a very good politician, otherwise he would not likely be pope. He is no stranger to geopolitics. Popes know how to play power politics. But that leads us to the larger question. Why would Benedict XVI choose this moment in his home state of Bavaria, the very heartland of Catholicism in Europe, to use these inflammatory words to his audience of mainly Catholics? The Pope knows that if Rome is to return to its former glory in the Old World, he must somehow unite his more than one billion faithful worldwide. He also knows that the best way to do this is to unite Catholics at their historical and cultural base, the European continent. Islam poses the greatest threat to Catholicism in Europe. Therefore, Benedict knows that the struggle between Christianity and Islamism will center in Europe. There is no better way to rally Europeans than by providing them with a single common cause that overrides all else and counteracts all tendencies for division. A fight that they cannot ignore. Germans are concerned about the influx of Islam into Europe. They see the chaos that militant Islam is stirring, and they are very worried that they will lose their way of life. Benedict's comments were a rallying call for Eurocentric Catholics to rise up to the challenge and confront Islam. The Pope is calling for another crusade. He is actually, in the name of peace, calling for war. Could it be that the Roman Catholic Church recognized back in the late 1980s that the coming conflict with Islam would necessitate a reunited Germany as the foundation for the new Holy Roman Empire and to support the final Crusades? Could it be that Rome orchestrated the collapse of the Berlin Wall? and the communist-controlled East Germany with U.S. President Ronald Reagan in order to give German companies the time and the elbow room to develop their strength again and make Germany strong. Remember that the kings and merchants of the earth give their power and strength to the beast. Rome has been masterfully manipulating Europe since at least the 1980s, and probably way before then, to control its destiny all through the pontificate of John Paul II. Now Benedict XVI is benefiting from it and taking it much further. While German companies are consolidating, Benedict XVI is working very hard to place the Church as the political power broker of Europe. Linking with Germany is a very strategic move. Germany was the core of Rome's former glory. It was Germany that provided the most support for the Crusades, though not exclusively prior to the Reformation. German industry, as well as its government, has a history of supporting World Wars I and II, and is ideally situated, now that it is no longer divided between East and West, to again support the final war against Islam along with the United States. If Rome is going to regain control of the old world, Germany is certainly going to play a very important part in it. But more importantly, if Rome is going to successfully confront Islam, it will need the resources that Germany has to offer politically, militarily, and economically. That is why it is significant that Benedict is a German. He understands the German mindset and its desire for order. Benedict's comments were designed to remind Germany that order can come when they unite under the leadership of Rome. When Romania and Bulgaria came into the EU this January, it significantly changed the political relationships within the EU. Because of the way the EU is structured, Germany and France could dominate politics according to their wishes when the EU was small. Other nations had to swallow whatever these two countries gave them. Once it grew to 25 countries, however, Germany and France could no longer dominate EU policy, but could still vote together to block anything they truly didn't like. But now with 27 members, The EU no longer belongs to Germany and France. The other countries can outvote them if they wish. Germany and France realize that with Romania and Bulgaria now in the European Union, their political vote and voice in the European Parliament is considerably diminished. So Germany has been angling to move political power into the economic realm by its massive industrial consolidation and rapidly increasing market share. This will help Germany retain much of its political clout, though indirectly through its economic power, rather than by direct control of Parliament. The Vatican, meanwhile, is aware that the political shift also has a religious shift, because the two newest countries are predominantly orthodox. Therefore, Benedict XVI is working very hard to continue maturing ecumenical ties with orthodoxy for obvious reasons. But politically speaking, the Vatican knows that regardless of the balance of political power, most of the nations of Europe are either officially Roman Catholic such as Austria, Italy, Spain and Portugal, or have large, if nominal, Roman Catholic populations, such as Germany, France, and Switzerland. The Vatican knows that when a crisis develops, these nations will look to Rome for guidance and will swing with Rome's agenda on things that really matter to Rome. Benedict XVI is an imperialist and must court Germany with an eye to its future usefulness in the coming struggle for its own world dominance. Benedict is skillfully bringing Germany into partnership with Rome in global politics. Just a word now about the transatlantic relationship between the United States and Europe, especially Germany. The Atlantic Monthly of December 2006 published an article pointing out that Angela Merkel the Chancellor of Germany, has gone out of her way to restore transatlantic ties and to call for a strong United States-Europe partnership. The magazine also pointed out that in spite of anti-American sentiment in Europe, the Europeans and Americans see world affairs much the same way. When it comes to Islam and Iran in particular, Europeans are more hawkish than our American Democrats, said the Atlantic Monthly. That places them somewhere between the Democrats and the Republicans in geopolitical opinion, which is essentially the same as Americans in general. They have the same goals. This is one indication of how the United States will reach across the Gulf and unite with the new Holy Roman Empire to force the world to worship the beast. America and Germany must work together. Most people think that the Crusades are a thing of the past, and that they will not happen again. But this is not the case. There's going to be one final bloody crusade. Dr. Friedman of Stratfor, a large well-known geopolitical intelligence consulting firm, on September 19 made a very insightful point, perhaps the most insightful of all the commentators and for a person who does not understand prophecy, it may be the clearest of all. From an intellectual and political standpoint, said Dr. Friedman, Benedict's statement was an elegant move. He has strengthened his political base and perhaps legitimized a stronger response to anti-Catholic rhetoric in the Muslim world, and he has done it with superb misdirection, meaning that what seemed like a mistake was really on purpose. According to RandomHouse.com, Pope Urban II in 1095 called for the Knights of Europe to stop fighting each other and make common cause against these enemies of God, meaning Muslims. Urban referred to the Ottoman Islamists as a race which has neither directed its heart nor entrusted its spirit to God and declared that it was a Christian duty to exterminate this vile race from our lands. Benedict is attempting to do essentially the same thing as Urban. Radical Islam is providing the catalyst Benedict needs to unite the squabbling nations of the European Union, and he wants to rally the leaders of these nations to make common cause against the tide of Islam that threatens to overwhelm the Christian roots of Europe. By finding a common cause to unite Europe around Rome and Christianity, the Pope is calling for a new Christian crusade against the jihad of Islamist nations. Of course, it is very subtle, and it doesn't happen overnight, but the process has begun. Speaking of the Pope's speech, George Friedman in Stratfor said, That move increases his political strength and could cause Europeans to rally around the church. Most people don't even begin to comprehend the struggle that is now building in the Middle East and how that will affect Europe. In the West, Islam is portrayed as evil, while the Christian West is painted as good. The struggle is portrayed in the opposite way in Islamist countries. The natural conclusion will be that a war between the West and Middle East would be a religious war of good versus evil by both sides, when in reality it is a war that will lead to the final crisis for those who love, who truly love, and keep all of God's commandments. It may also give God's people a little more time to give the final warning under the developing and more public questions that will inevitably be raised to them as the chaos increases. Keep in mind that the Crusades were one of the key elements the angels of heaven used to distract the Holy Roman Empire, as it was called, from dismembering and destroying the Reformation in the time of Luther, so that it could grow and mature. Today, the angels may well use Islam again to provide the same kind of cover for God's last remnant people, giving the last warning message of Revelation 18. But keep watching the circumstances in Europe, because these very same issues may well accelerate the development of Sunday laws as tensions grow more intense. A war with Islam would also awaken the interest of the general public concerning what the Bible has to say about end time events. There would certainly be many and numerous interpretations in the religious world, but the circumstances would inevitably give God's people a hearing. As the crisis nears, the Pope's purposeful and deliberate Regensburg speech greatly increased the tensions between Islam and the Christian West. Pay attention to the Middle East, but also pay attention to Europe. My friends, the Holy Roman Empire is on the rise, just like prophecy said it would be. It carries with it the same principles of the old Holy Roman Empire. We are living in the time just before the final struggle for control of the world, and the final war of Armageddon. The Bible tells us that Rome will work with the United States to bring about the image of the beast, and impose the no-buy, no-sell decree on God's faithful people. We can also see that she will work with the nations of Europe to build her power and former glory. The noon of the papacy will be the midnight of the world once again. We have spent a lot of time studying the American side of the struggle in the fulfilling of prophecy, but now I hope that you can see another side to this same struggle for world power. Rome is trying to rebuild Europe's loyalties under her banner. She is using the United States to help her, but ultimately the European Union will bow to her authority alone. As the confrontation with Islam grows, watch Europe carefully. Benedict is now trying to reach out to Muslims. This has a strong political side to it, but it is worth noting that he criticized them and then reached out to them. This is a strategic tactic used to place the Vatican in the midst of the conflict as the major player and peace broker just after the centralization of political and spiritual power under Rome. The fourth angel of Revelation 18 will give the last and final warning. Listen to the words of God's prophet John as he writes concerning what he saw in vision. Revelation 18, 1-5 says, And after these things I saw another angel come down from heaven, having great power, and the earth was lightened with his glory. voice from heaven, saying, Come out of her, my people, that ye be not partakers of her sins, and that ye receive not of her plagues. For her sins have reached unto heaven, and God hath remembered her iniquities. My friends, don't you want to be a part of the loud cry? I do. This is at the same time as the beast is exposed, and just before her punishment is meted out to her. There will be thousands upon thousands of people who have spiritual questions as these huge developments unfold. Now is the preparation time. Now is the time to fortify your mind with the truth of God. Now is the time to awaken from our sleep and leave our old selfish ways and return to Jesus Christ. He died for your sins and wants to free you from all of them. He wants to give you the power to overcome them all. Please don't delay the preparation. Learn now to have victory in your life so that you will be ready for the crisis and you'll be able to trust God fully. Let us pray. Dear Father in Heaven, We see the movements leading to the last crisis. Rome is on the march, and it is time for us to be serious about our relationship with Christ in the most holy place of the heavenly sanctuary. Please teach us how to surrender our souls to your power. Please teach us how to have overcoming power so that we may leave our sins behind and become holy like Jesus so that we can be protected during the chaos that is coming on the human race. Please send us your Holy Spirit to accomplish this in us. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. We hope you have received a great blessing from this month's message. Your prayers and gifts mean much to us. Thank you for your support. The song you have just heard, entitled People Need the Lord, is from a CD entitled On Our Journey Home by the Three Angels Chorale.